Hello, everyone. This is Mehul Desai. I am the co-founder and chairman of Tantra. Uh, welcome to the Tantra podcast series. I know it has been a few months uh, since our last episode, uh, but I'm very pleased uh, to bring the next version back to you. Um, today's topic is products the second of the three P's of intellectual property. Uh, today on the podcast, I have uh, once again a very dear friend, colleague, um, Ellie Kim. Please uh, uh, welcome Ellie Kim. Ellie? Hi, Nehal. Nice to be here. Great. Likewise. It's, it's so good uh, to have you on the podcast, Ellie. And uh, so in a, in a few minutes, uh, I'm going to turn it over to Ellie. And uh, she, of course, will, will uh, share with all of you her background. Um, but uh, very briefly, Ellie and I have known each other for many years. Um, Ellie has a very diverse and tremendous background uh, in product development, as well as in financial services and fintech. And uh, so I thought that she would be the perfect guest for us to talk about once again the uh, the second piece of intellectual property, um, uh, namely products. Um, just a, a little brief background about myself for uh, the first-time listeners out there. Uh, I have spent uh, now about 30 years in the global innovation entrepreneurship space. Um, I had an opportunity to start very early as a technocrat, uh, solving for financial friction, um, you know, back in the early 90s, uh, we did a lot of the early work around mobile wallets, mobile commerce, mobile payment, uh, built a global company, lots of technology, a uh, lot of deployments practically across every major market, uh, across lots of different industries. And I did that for about 20 years and then had an opportunity to sell that company to MasterCard. Um, after which I uh, set up a few more companies, uh, some uh, with friends and colleagues, who had interesting ideas, uh, some based on uh, the ideas that, that I was fostering and, and kind of thinking about for a long time. Um, I also had an opportunity to work with a large financial services group uh, and help them build a fintech narrative and, and take them public on the London Stock Exchange. And so over the last 30 years, I've done a fair amount of work, once again, uh, in, in applying technology to solve interesting problems. Um, and based on that, in early 2020, uh, I started to think about uh, innovation in general, um, kind of taking ideas uh, and innovating more efficiently in particular. And, uh, and that is what led to Tantra. And uh, for me personally, Tantra is part culmination of my 30 years of learning and experience from around the world. Um, it's also kind of, as I refer to it, my personal sandbox. Um, and uh, over the years now, uh, we have brought into Tantra lots of colleagues, friends, partners. Um, and in many ways, this has become a sandbox for them as well. Um, and so at Tantra, we essentially do five things. We provide engineering services for software products, software services, uh, we have our own incubator where when we see interesting ideas, some born within the Tantra ecosystem, some outside, uh, we kind of help take those ideas uh, forward, you know, file patents, create products, create business units. 
Personally, uh, I have benefited immensely from uh, filing lots of patents. I have over 100, almost 120 patents issued in the U.S., uh, and hence I'm a big believer in, uh, in building patent portfolios uh, as part of the overall intellectual property. And more about that later. Uh, we also have a venture fund. Uh, we have an enterprise platform, essentially to automate parts of innovation which can be automated. And then we have an academy uh, where we focus on building an innovation mindset in the academy participants, kind of what we call, uh, what we call building people. And so five parts to Tantra, engineering services, incubator, ventures fund, the enterprise platform, and the academy. Uh, we operate across five different markets, uh, primarily to help cross-pollinate innovation, bring interesting ideas from one part of the world to another. Uh, our focus uh, is uh, on North America, parts of Europe, uh, India, and the GCC, or the Gulf countries, uh, Singapore, parts of Southeast Asia, and then Japan. So we're focused on five markets. And we also have domain expertise in five verticals, fintech, health tech, IoT, supply chain, and new economy. And so in many ways, like I said earlier, Tantra is part culmination and part sandbox, uh, saying if we see an interesting idea, we can bring it in either into the incubator. If there is an idea out there which needs a product that needs to be developed, we can immediately turn it over to engineering. Uh, eventually, as we all know, it always comes down to people. And so that's where the academy kicks in. Um, and once again, we can, we can do this effectively with support from a global network of domain experts across five different verticals. Uh, coming now specifically to the podcast, um, we started this podcast series last year, uh, initially focused on design and innovation. Uh, we then started a series on fintech. We had a few very interesting guests come in and talk about their fintech journey and their perspective on fintech and kind of, you know, framed it around what I refer to as the holy grail of fintech from my perspective. And uh, so today's episode um, is part to talk about products. Um, you know, again, in the past, I've talked about what we refer to as the three P's of intellectual property, patents, products, and people. Today's uh, episode will focus on products. Um, and with Ellie, uh, we actually have the ability to talk about both given her experience with products, uh, given her experience with financial services. And again, like me, she's been a technocrat all her life trying to solve for friction in financial services leading to fintech. And, and so with Ellie, uh, while I want to focus on products, uh, I also am going to dabble a little bit on fintech. And I think uh, for, for you know, myself and all of you out there, I think this will give us the benefit of, of both. You know, again, the product focus as part of the three Ps, and then a little bit about uh, Ellie's perspective on fintech. So with that said, um, Ellie, uh, if I can turn it over to you, uh, if you can share a little bit about your background and also your perspective on products in general, fintech in general, and then of course, we'll, we'll kind of jump right into it. Great, thanks, Nail. Um, I actually see my career, my life in different phases. So the first part is really pre-payments, I would say. Uh, payments really started after business school. Before business school, uh, in university, I studied psychology and economics. So my parents immigrated to the U.S. when I was eight. Uh, I still, whenever convenient, claim English through my second language, but I think that plays into kind of how I view the world, right? 
in college, it was a combination of something I love, which is psychology, which I still love and study today, and something I had to do because I think it's quite typical for an immigrant mindset to be like, let's go into business and get a job, right? So those are my two majors. Um, after college, I worked in banking, very good, you know, very standard business job, and then moved into consulting, which I, in reflection, I'm really glad I did. I think consulting really gave me the foundations to do things like uh, structuring, problem solving, logical thinking, Excel and PowerPoint, you know, which I still love today. And then after business school, uh, I was a, I had an opportunity to come to London to work for American Express. And that was my first foray into payments. Uh, it was a great company. Not only was it a great starting point for me to learn everything about payments, uh, in those days it was the three or the three four party model with issuers, merchants, consumers, networks, and Amex being, you know, the three party model, it was a really good learning ground, right? For learning what payments is about and the landscape that was at that time. It was also a good place because there was an emphasis on leadership as well. So uh, I think both the goals and leadership was, was what was sort of the balance of that was a good learning place uh, um, for me. So with that, I continued to work in banking in various areas of consulting after I left American Express for uh, six and a half years. And then I went sort of what I would call big, as in, you know, I ran uh, different payment functions and teams at both Google and Samsung. And this was in the days when we all thought the holy grail, which I've heard you <laughs> mention may whole as a concept, was the digital wallet. I mean, back in those days, the, the idea of us being able to pay with our phone was just the coolest thing anyone's ever heard of, right? I mean, you and I have both seen payments from the days when we paid by cash to cards and merchants had these machines, you know, with the carbon copies, right? And so with that, I felt like I was on the edge of something really big and really exciting and the next, next uh, innovation. And yeah, we all got there collectively. We all you know, made it happen. We saw Apple Pay, Android Pay. I went to work for Samsung to scale out uh, Samsung Pay around the world. And it was incredible to be part of that journey. And I still think it is still one of the biggest innovations, you know, new products, new ways for people to pay that has happened in my career. And then uh, after going big, I actually went really, really small and did a couple of stints at startups. So this is where Mehul, you and I met. Uh, we were able to take your dream, uh, the concept, what people needed into a prototype. And I, you know, we, the, the ending of our chapter wasn't great because of the bigger factors of the company, but I still think that the ideas we came up with and the problems that we we're trying to solve for were truly unique and it could have been something great. Uh, I also joined another startup, Series A, where great concept, uh, lack of tech, so gave that a go. And then now um, I actually work at a retailer. So the one thing that I've done in my career that I think is a little bit different is that I've seen the full 360, right? I've seen it from a consumer point of view. I've seen it from a network point of view and now a retailer's point of view. So I think it's really given me new insights that I didn't think I would have if I had just stayed in one of those boxes. Thanks, Ali. That, that is awesome. I, I thought I knew just about everything that I need to, but the psychology bit is new. I was not aware that you had a major in psychology. Yes. And, uh, I started and, keep... and that, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, sorry. Let's start over. 
Yeah. Let's edit this uh, part out. Say it again. Sure. Okay. We'll, we'll start from the top. Let's give it a, a little pause. Thanks, Ali. Uh, that was awesome. By the way, I, I thought I knew everything that I, that I needed to know about you, but the psychology bit was new. Uh, that's interesting. For me, it is something that I'm constantly thinking about. And I, and I think it actually plays to how I think about products, because for me, it's all about going back to that person. You know, and psychology isn't just what someone thinks. It's about sort of the consumer and the emotions and the mindset. And so that that plays into it constantly. And I think payments is actually a very uh, emotional, personal thing uh, that people sometimes uh, underestimate. Indeed, indeed. And I, I was about to say that uh, now that I know this little bit, uh, which is so important, it actually now explains a lot in terms of what uh, what I thought I had known about you all along. So great. Uh, so look, I, I, I think, uh, uh, no, this is very helpful. And uh, uh, the part that I would like to stress and highlight once again for our audience is uh, the uh, extremely diverse um, experiences that you've had and uh, uh, kind of how that has helped you in so many ways uh, to a look at kind of challenges I, I don't like to use the word problem but kind of look at challenges differently and then clearly think through the solution very differently right and so kind of to now kick off the discussion um, you know I, I know you talked about uh, a little bit about kind of you know uh, what you majored in and then how it got you going but you know when I when I when I think about building products in in its in a very innate fundamental sense uh as i started saying earlier i always think about seeing a situation differently uh you know while most people maybe see a problem uh product developers like you and so many others that i've had the pleasure uh, and honor of actually working with over the years don't quite see it as a problem they see it as an opportunity uh, they don't use the word problem, they use challenge. And uh, so the question I have for you, just given your background and the work that you've done and you continue to do, is looking back at your early days, right? Maybe even growing up, the way, the way you, the, the environment in which you grew up, uh, which eventually then kind of started to guide you towards your professional journey. Um, you know, what was it in your opinion, looking back, uh, that kind of started to mold your psyche and kind of mold your interest in uh, in looking at the glass always as half full and never as half empty. You know, uh, Mehul, it is. It always feels like the fundamental needs and the problems I was always looking at hasn't really changed. What has changed is the environment. So I'll give you a couple of examples where, you know, ultimately we are trying to solve for how I buy something, you know, how I use my money, how I want to. And that in itself is such a positive emotional thing. I think when it comes to payment, sometimes I feel like we sort of focused on the wrong area, right? The main, the main actor is not how you pay. It's sort of what you do or how you buy something, right? I literally remember Mehul as a kid being able to, buy that first present that I had the money for and that emotion that comes with it. And so that's really the crux of 
the human experience that I think we're solving in every single time we solve for payments. So I have that, that connection of, okay, I want to buy something. However, the world just changes, right? The technology just keeps growing and improving and new things. So I sometimes feel like I've been standing in the same place, wanting to do the same thing. It just, things around me have gotten bigger and better and faster and more techie, right? So when I was at Amex, it was a time when the group was trying to solve for gift cards and gift cards at that time didn't exist in the form that we know today. Every single shop has them hanging on the wall, right? And it was a simple problem of people want to buy this. How do we make that possible? And you can imagine all of the compliance and the risks and how do you you know, prevent someone from just grabbing one off the shelf and running around with it? It was a lot of complexity to solve for that. And once it was solved for, though, it was so obvious. It was, And then it became ubiquitous, right? And so it was just a simple concept of, hey, I want to buy this present for someone. How do we uh, do that simpler? And so the technology at the time enabled that. You then fast forward to the wallet where, again, it's just that's all I wanted to do was just make it easier for people to pay. And I, I still use my wallet every day. I still use my phone. I think it was a great thing to do to enable just that seamless transaction of me being able to buy something. And again, the technology changed, right? That's not something that we could have launched, you know, 20 years ago, but we did about 10 years ago. And so, you know, fundamentally that experience of, hey, I want to buy something. I want to make it super easy to do has been consistent since day one. What has changed is the means, the products, the tools, the technology that let us do that. And sometimes lately I've been, I've been feeling like I'm catching up to that technology. And I think we just have to be careful that the tech doesn't sort of outpace that fundamental basic need that we have, which is, hey, I want to go buy something. Does that make sense? It makes absolute sense. And I mean, you, you touched upon something very, very important. And, and I know there is a whole discipline around user-centric design, human-centric design, um, but you, you, what you touched upon in terms of your early, yes, let's say, childhood experiences was that human emotion, which came to transactions. And, and you know, the challenge for all of us um, as you know, product developers, I guess, um, is how do you uh, how do you capture that human emotion, right? I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. There is a whole world of efficiency uh, that needs to be wrapped in. But uh, if, if it's done in a way whereby we kind of miss the, miss the human emotion part, really at some point it just falls flat, right? Or maybe there's a way you bifurcate saying that there are a bunch of transactions that happen or need to happen where you really don't need to you know, emotionally get involved, but then there are others where you do. And the technology clearly has to you know, not only bifurcate, but then in a way, kind of support you differently for these different kind of transactions, right? And that kind of now leads me into the the second part. Um, you know, I mean, before we kind of get all all let's say hot and heavy on the on the fintech side of this, the payment side of okay. it, the transaction side. Um, how would you define product development for a layman, right? I mean, uh, because we hear this term a lot, right? People talk about product development, product development, again, is a discipline. Maybe some even think of it as an industry in itself. There's tons of certification that can be, you know, uh, procured, what have you. So uh, from your perspective, having done this in so many different environments, I mean, you know, you've, you've been on the banking side, you know, under consulting, I'm sure you've worked on a lot of different diverse, you know, challenges. 
You've been at Amex, Google, Samsung. I mean, I know a little bit about these companies, but I would like to believe that they all approach product development in a very different way. From your perspective, uh, what is the 101 of product development? Uh, how would you break it down, Ellie? For me, uh, it is so simple, uh, which is the best way for me to understand things, which is, you know, product is is the what, you know, it is, what is it? Uh, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to pay. So what do I use to pay? It's as simple as that. If I look at, if we define payments uh, and transactions as a thing that happens, right? When we want to do an interaction, what is enabling that transaction, that interaction? You know, it's a card that lets me pay. It is a wallet that lets me access my payment method. It is a gift card that lets, you know, so it is just that thing that enables the action. It's as simple as that. I think uh, it extends out. And I think there's, you know, people talk about UX, CX, all of that. And it's hard in payments to think about the, how, you know, to separate out necessarily the how and the what, right? Because, you know, what method you want to use to pay for something and how that interaction uh, happens is sort of at the moment and should be kind of par and parcel. It's like one and the same thing. So it's hard to separate it, but that that's fundamentally what it is, right? And what is the thing that lets you do what you want to do? I want to shop. Oh, I have to pay for it. What's going to let me make that payment? And that is as simple as product development gets for me. And so in, in the current context, um, you know, I've made a reference to user-centric design, human-centric design, um, and, you know, kind of having been doing all of this for as long as I have, um, you know, I remember 25, 30 years ago, um, you know, the term did not, well, maybe the term existed, but not at least in the popular kind of, um, you know, lexicon. Um, and the way I characterize it is back then, um, we built everything with the provider in the middle saying, you know, anytime I got up in front of a whiteboard to explain what it is that, you know, I did, my company did, my solution did, I always kind of put my little silver shiny gizmo right in the middle of the whiteboard. And then I drew everyone else around it. Uh, and fast forward to where we are today, we all kind of put the user in the middle and then we start drawing everything around it. So kind of from your perspective, how have you seen the user-centric aspect of product development kind of evolve, right? And again, you've done this in lots of different environments, in you know, different, very different kinds of companies, like you said, big and small. How have you seen this aspect of product development? Again, as you explained the what part, kind of the why, the how, back in the day, at least when I remember it, was very provider-centric. The why and the how now absolutely has to be centered around the user. Uh, how have you seen that change? And from a, from a product development perspective, how would you define that vis-a-vis -vis balancing it out from a provider perspective? Uh, do you mean provider as in the issuer or the network, Nehal? Uh, whoever the provider of the product is, right? But yes, I mean... Let's say that you like, were building a wallet, right? As a wallet yes. provider, uh, you know, you have a wallet. Got aspect. it. Okay. But as a product developer, okay. like I said, when you started out, maybe it was wallet centric. Now it's user centric where a wallet plays a role, right? And I'm, I'm curious to see how you've seen that transition in the world 
across different industries, across different kinds of companies, big and small? Sure. You know, I don't know if it's because at that time it was my perspective, because when I worked at Google, Samsung, Amex, I could see the consumer point of view. And so I think in those days, I truly felt like the innovations and payments helped the user. So the improve, you know, whether it's the credit card, digitization, wallet, it generally helped me as a person using that tool to do it better. Since that time, to be honest, uh, gosh, I feel like, first of all, this whole notion of fintech and payments became a discipline, right? I, I mean, I don't know if today you can major in payments, but it's become a thing. And I, I think Mayhole, you and I started when payments wasn't even cool, right? Let alone be one of the fastest moving innovative industries out there called fintech. So the industry has kind of taken off, which is great. There's been uh, innovations, different companies, different startups, different tech, and every part of that that equation, the four-party model, right, of the issuers, the networks. And now it's just sort of gone. And I also think given uh, the different perspective from a retailer point of view, I'm a little bit uh, confused in the noise. There are so many players just in doing so many different things in between that that basic interaction between the consumer and what they're buying, right, from a merchant point of view. And I, I genuinely feel like we have kind of topped, you know, the innovation for users. So recently there's been buy now, pay later, which people have sort of decided was a really good thing to have. It's a different form of credit. Great. And it kind of stops from my knowledge, you know, that's kind of where it sort of stopped. And then all of the different parties that come between the transactions is what I'm seeing today in my day-to-day job. And I, I, I kind of think it, what we forgot is the retailer point of view um, and everything that I see. And again, it might be my perspective, right? Because I'm kind of standing on that side of the fence now. I don't think the fintech industry or the technology that I'm seeing really solves for the retailer because, you know, I was thinking in the world of payments, how do you make money, right? From, from a uh, commerce point of view, you either as a consumer pay for stuff, right? Whether it's credit or fees. Or you make it when the retailer makes a sale, right? So it's a part of that transaction fee. And I can't even begin to tell you the number of different parts of that of that one transaction and how cut up it is and how many players are now doing different things, right? Whether it's aggregation, orchestration, gateway, blah, blah, blah. Wow, it's become really, really hard for the retailer because, you know, even from a user point of view, if you think about the number of wallets that are out there, right? So everybody has their favorite and that's okay. You know, it's like credit cards, right? Like there's more variety than than one needs, but we all like different programs. You know, you like Android, you like iOS, whatever. Think about it from the flip side of that, of the person taking the payments, right? So from a retailer point of view, how do you give consumers choice, but not have a hundred different ways of people to pay, right? And so I do think that that's kind of maybe we've over-anchored a little bit on the user. We've certainly not really thought about the retailer, which is kind of interesting given how many people in the payments industry make money when the retailers does. And so for where I stand today, I'm a little bit overwhelmed, right? By kind of just too many things that aren't really helping us and, and have created more of a distance, I think, from that basic consumer retailer connection that that we used to have like when we paid cash you know you walk into a shop 
you pay, there's, there's a value you put to what you're buying, right? And you're happy to pay that. And you assume the retailer keeps that. But we all know in the world of payments today, that's not the case. And I think we're getting farther and farther away from that true initial sort of basic uh, transaction that I think we need to maybe think about a bit more. That's that's very true. And actually, as you were as you were explaining that, um, you know, what occurred to me and I, I think uh, payments is a perfect example of uh, of this is um, and I'm sure there are several similar kind of industry verticals. Uh, but but what I what what occurred to me is that it's not always that simple in terms of who do you center your product development exercise around. And you're absolutely right. I mean, when it comes to something as I don't want to say trivial, but as kind of um, as basic as fundamental as payments, we all have been doing it, and we all will continue to do it. I just see no escaping that. Uh, there's the user, there's the merchant or the service provider. Uh, sometimes the service provider is in front of you. Sometimes she or he is up there in vaporware. The point is, it's always you have to balance out your product development because at any given time, these are the, the two players. And yes, there are a whole host of folks that facilitate it. Clearly, uh, you and I have spent decades living and working alongside many of them. Uh, but at the same time, you have to find a way to balance your product design uh, around these kind of two fundamental players. And, and you know, when I think about other industries like healthcare and others, I, I think there is an aspect of that same complexity which kicks in over there. Say, do you make it provider-centric? Do you make it patient-centric? You know, so on and so forth. Um, but look, I mean, moving on, uh, just to dwell a little bit more on the general aspect of product development. Um, another interesting thing I've seen early over the years um, is kind of the different approaches, uh, whether you call them strategies, methodologies, best practices, when it comes to uh, adoption of a product vis-a-vis -vis different strategies when it comes to scaling a product. And I know lots of folks out there uh, tend to kind of use adoption and scale in the same sentence. But clearly, when you build a product and you put it out there, initially, you have to focus on adoption and a very different aspect of the product uh, plays out. Um, for example, you have to be geared up for extremely rapid iterative development because that's the phase in which you're getting a lot of feedback, you're incorporating it, you're pivoting, you know, all of that, that great stuff happens during the adoption phase. And then once you kind of hit that sweet spot, you kind of start thinking a little differently in context of, okay, now I need to, you know, make this carrier great. I need to ensure scale. I need to support scale in a very different kind of aspect or different set of approaches come into play. How would you categorize this? In your case, uh, again, you worked at companies where they're delivering payments at scale. Uh, you've created new products within these large companies. So you've seen the adoption and the scale aspect of those products, again, you know, for large companies. And then clearly you've done this for smaller companies as well. If you had to break this down into two distinct kind of, you know, phases, what would be your high-level guidance for our audience out there that is doing product development for adoption? And then what would be your high-level guidance for folks who have figured out the adoption part and now are getting ready for scale? 
Okay, so in Mehul, um, so when it comes to scale and payments, I'm going to say a few things that uh, I think payment people just might not, not like, but it's in my head, so I'm going to say it. So if, you know, Mehul, when I saw payments scale globally, it actually was never just the payment, right? So it was about the company. I'm talking about Google and Samsung who already existed, who already had a massive user base and the users loved something about that company, right? And then on top of that user base, you introduce a new product. Hey, here's a payment method. All of a sudden people take it and go, yes, great. Now, you know, I have a different way to pay. And that that just points to my point about payments, you know, not being the main character of the movie, right? So in my opinion, if payments becomes an enabler of something else, I've seen it scale. When you have a, I think even in our startup ideas, Mehul, if you thought about, when we think about what we did try to do together, we never led with payments, right? We led with the user base already being there, having a fundamental need of cross-border payments, right? And payments was going to be the topper of that. So that's what I would say. I think it's really hard to, and I don't know, you know, in, if academia would prove me wrong, but if you're out there in the world saying, hey, this is a great payment method, and that in itself is the scale, unless you're a network, it doesn't really work, right? Because payments in itself isn't something that people think about, or it's never the end, right? It's kind of means to the end. And so that's what I would say is that scale, actually, my experience has always come on top of something else. And now, from a retailer point of view, again, it's that retailer experience, the basic customers that love the retailer, and how can payment scale on top of it? That might be a little contrary to maybe the answer you're expecting, Mayhul, but I'm just not a fan of payment startups and payment people going out there and trying to scale payments because it just, that's not the point. It is an enabler and we should, you should be truly adding real value, right? And it should be something that the scale basic customers genuinely do in their lives. And it's not payments, right? You and I can talk about payments all day. Most people on the street don't think about it or talk about it, right? No, you're absolutely right. And and look, I mean, um, you're spot on. Um, and even when I kind of think uh, about the very early days of the wallet, at least for me, which kind of, you know, puts me back almost 30 years, um, you know, we, we were always kind of like you rightly said, we were, we were trying to figure out uh, what are those endpoints which would draw the need for transactions in, right? And, and we eventually did that with that company. We built five generations of the technology. Uh, we ended up deploying about four, but the fifth generation of that platform, uh, which we at that time uh, termed lifestyle, uh, actually just did that, right? It said that, look, focus on enhancing all the different aspects of an individual's lifestyle and the payment part, the transaction part will continue to happen sometimes in the background, okay, sometimes with explicit approval, but it is absolutely like you rightly said, it's a means to an endpoint. It's not an endpoint in itself. And look, maybe with that, let's kind of, you know, now move into a little bit of the fintech part of this, right? I mean, um, and you've already touched upon it practically in, in you know, every topic that we've, we've tried to cover from a product perspective. But from your perspective now, Ellie, looking at all the work that you've done, kind of where you are today, and uh, as you now look forward, more importantly, 
what are the unique challenges? What are the unique opportunities when it comes to fintech in general? Again, however you choose to define fintech or whatever aspect of fintech you kind of want to grab, right? But what are what are the unique challenges and op- opportunities according to you? And you know, in my case, uh, I've kind of I've defined the holy grail of fintech basically as normalizing the cost of capital for everyone, everywhere, all the time. But from your perspective, uh, what would the holy grail of fintech be? So uh, my new holy grail, because it used to be, well, I don't know if it was mine, but it was certainly the industry's holy grail on the wallet. My holy grail is just actually going back to the good old days of just that basic transaction between me wanting something, going into a merchant, buying it and having them get as much of that as I'm giving, right? You know, I I think when I look at the innovations, at the moment, fintech is actually, some of it is really old tech, right? I mean, I don't know the date, but the networks, right? That we still run all cards and debit transactions. Sure, it's been approved, but it's been there, right? Since since the, 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 the start of credit cards. So there are parts of fintech that have always been there. Then there's a lot of new tech that sits on top of it, right? Then there are different networks and different, you know, technologies that are trying to create like a separate, separate rail, but it is sort of a mishmash of both. It is not necessarily, you know, like I think about today, if you're going to just start over and say, hey, what is this digital interaction between a consumer and a merchant look like? What would that be? And I don't know if it would be the, the, the giant, you know, uh, we've just built on top of things on top of, you know what I mean? It's like this giant thing, right? And so I think the opportunity is is a couple of things. One is, you know, when people innovate, you know, really think about where in that value chain are you innovating? And if you're going to add yet another new different version with, you know, a different name, does the same thing on top of taking a piece of that transaction, it's not really helpful, right? That's not really innovation. So you know, where where in that equation are you looking at it, right? Solving simultaneously for the ecosystem. So what's really great for consumers sometimes is back retailers. So looking at that, but but looking at just I guess the fundamental industry, right? And saying, hey, are we, you know, how much have we helped that basic interaction? And my holy grail is after seeing all the technology, after seeing all of the innovation to actually go back, right? To that basic interaction and saying, hey, we've kind of now gotten that back in the truest sense in with the latest technology. And that to me would be the holy grail. Interesting, interesting. And you're, you're right. I mean, in some ways, um, um, you know, there's now so much wrapped in and around that very basic, as you at the top of this conversation laid out the emotional connect with transactions that in the process, we've just lost sight of, of you know, kind of how do you absolutely simplify this so that the, the most innate purpose of completing the transaction is fulfilled and, you know, you're not inundated with all these other things. Uh, so you're, you're, you're right. And it, it is truly an interesting perspective. Um, and so now, look, I mean, you know, uh, to kind of start wrapping up, and this is where 
this is where you can be, you should be uh, as philosophical as, as you would like to be. But kind of if you look over the next five to 10 years, um, how do you see both, right? Um, FinTech evolving, uh, but within that, um, you know, how do you see product development as a discipline evolving, right? I mean, look, generative AI and, and everything else is upon us. We're already starting to play around with uh, the, the use of generative AI in developing code. And, you know, there's so many interesting things. So on one hand, uh, as has been the case, you know, uh, you're seeing a very kind of new generation of technology capabilities coming in, which are going to help the product development discipline in particular. Uh, and then alongside that, what I find even more intriguing at some level, even more impactful is kind of this whole future of work, right? I mean, back in the day when I started, you know, 10 of us, 50 of us, 5,000 of us were in one building, you know, departments, one department did not do what the other did. And where are we today? Uh, we're, you know, all around the world, we're working on on in our, on our own pace, in our own space. Uh, we don't even know most of the people that we work with. And yet we have found ways of doing work very efficiently, very impactful, right? So uh, how, how, do you, how do you envision kind of these trends, the technology enablers impacting the product development discipline? How do you see the future of work uh, uh, kind of where we used to be, where we are. How do you see that trending in the future? And how do you see all of this coming together, both impacting how product development works moving forward and uh, how fintech potentially will benefit from this or not, right? Depending on kind of what your perspective of the next 10 years, the next decade is. So, Mehul, uh, this part, I don't know if I was prepared to answer, so we might have to edit it out. So I'll give it a go. Um, so let me pause for a second. Okay. Uh, okay. Do, so do you Mehul, want me to start? Sorry. Do you no, want me I, to start? I guess I'll the, just. No, or no. you'd start your it, response. Just okay. a, yeah, I'll just start my response. So let's so, give it a little pause, and then you can you can start your response. Yep. It's interesting, Mehul, uh, previous times in my career, I can kind of see the next thing coming, you know, and I, I sat there and I said, ooh, that'll be a really good innovation when it comes out. That's a new way to pay. That, that's a new uh, product coming out. At the moment, uh, I don't have that one thing that I can see in the horizon. There are so many different technologies that are coming out and it's sort of multidiscipline, right? It's not just around what you mentioned, AI, but it's also, you know, um, yeah, it's just almost hard for me as a non-technology person to keep up with all of the different things that are coming, right? Whether it's virtual, meta, whatever you want to call it, right? So in that, the playing field has gotten so big with so many technologies, I actually struggle from my point of view to kind of say, here are the things that are coming in the future, right? What I would say is, you know, if we keep adding to the same paradigm and the same ecosystem that we've been building on, uh, I, that probably isn't going to get us the big changes, right? What we have to do, I think, is almost sort of step back and think about what are we solving for? You know, even if it's, quote unquote, going back, you know, I like using technology 
for the sake of just using technology, it's just doesn't help, right? I think we just need to go back and figure out how the technology helps whatever you're trying to solve for. And I, I think it's it's worth us. Uh, fintech has grown so fast, and you know, I've had conversations with VC people where there's just startup after startup, and it, they do kind of the same thing, and it's become so niche, right? And it's become so specialized that the whole ecosystem is just very noisy right now. So the future for me is a part about what's going to cut through that noise. Is there something really fundamentally different that's going to change the playing field? That is my dream, my holy grail, and something that I would love to see. Uh, I don't see it yet, and I don't even know if people are thinking about that. I think we're all trying to apply new tech to the same ecosystem. So that's you know that's sort of my view and where the future is. Um, it could also be <laughs> I'm just not in you know I'm not in the thick of the latest and greatest technology, but it's 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 hard to keep up these days, right? And I guess the work thing is interesting. I mean, you and I are sitting here. Uh, in different countries, different times, having a conversation like you're in the room. We're all used to this way of working. What I think is the biggest change is, you know, Mehul, we used to, I mean, this is typical, right? I work for a company. Clearly, you know, the company's happy for me to do this in my personal time. But the way we define work, as in the way we make a contribution, has lost its borders, right? It's not black and white. You go to office, like you said earn your pay, that's your job. I think we're all defining our jobs in quotes differently. How are we contributing our knowledge? How are we learning? How are we changing the world, you know, and making that almost uh, much more fluid between what we do that defines us in terms of who pays us, but also to bigger causes like this that you and I are very passionate about. And this is all part of how we're defining ourselves and therefore how we work has just evolved to to meet that 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 change in our I think our philosophy of life and why we're here and you know I think we we don't want to be in boxes and we don't want to you know crank out products because it's the latest and the coolest tech I think we're asking why does it matter who's it going to help how's it going to actually change you know the world so that that's about as philosophical as I can get <laughs> no, and that's awesome. Uh, so, look, thanks again, Ali. Thank you so much for your time um, and uh, sharing your experiences and kind of your insight, your your little glimpse into the future with our audience. Uh, I know I learned uh, a whole bunch of new things beyond the psychology background <laughs> today, uh, <laughs> but I can assure you that uh, that our audience will have a lot to unpack and, and take away, uh, both in, in terms of uh, kind of the product development as a discipline, as I call it, as well as your unique uh, perspectives on payments and and kind of fintech at, at large. So thank you again, Ellie. Thanks so much for your time and uh, you know look forward to to having uh, many more conversations with you. Uh, thanks to the uh, thanks to the audience out there. Uh, as always, uh, we appreciate your your uh, dialing in um, and uh, you know look forward to bringing uh, many more interesting conversations to you. Uh, as always, we will publish a white paper uh, around these topics, so you'll you'll have something to something supporting to to read about uh, the the product uh, aspect of intellectual property, and in this case, the payment and fintech perspectives that Ellie has shared with us as well. And as always, stay posted uh, for the next episode, uh, which will be kind of the third P 
uh, as in the people part of intellectual property. Thank you all, as always. Um, good night and good luck. Um, have fun, be good, and be safe. Thank you.